The process of applied functional science is the transformation of the notion into the motion. From the Gray Institute, this is the Gray Institute podcast. Gray Institute is internationally acclaimed for its innovation, development, mastery, and delivery of applied functional science, AFS. AFS is based on scientific truth, not theory, of how the human body moves in all three planes. AFS allows movement professionals like you to apply the best, most effective, and most efficient movements to any individual based on specific needs and goals. For 40 years through training, education, and mentorship, Gray Institute has equipped over 150,000 professionals with comprehensive knowledge and the principles of applied functional science, AFS. Whether you're physical therapists, personal trainers, athletic trainers, chiropractors, strength and conditioning coaches, coaches, physicians, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, osteopaths, physical therapy assistants, or kinesiologists, our goal is to help you become the go-to movement professional. On behalf of Gray Institute, welcome to yet another webinar. And I catch myself saying how much of a treat these are for me to be a part of. And I really continue to mean it. And this one is an extra big special treat uh, because who's involved? Not only Dr. Gary Gray to my right, but virtually from afar, we have Todd Wright that we'd like to welcome to this webinar entitled Hamstrings and Injuries, The Functional Truth. Well, Dougie, you know, uh, you're around me a lot. You know how much Todd means to me and all of us and all of Grand Institute and our entire family. Uh, and you know, ever since I first met him, he became my hero. So uh, as excited as you are, you can multiply that times 10. Just the, that he's honoring us with his presence, knowing that what he's accomplished uh, in his career, uh, just knowing how he empowers other people and how he loves on other people. It's just an honor to have him. So I'm so excited as well. So before I get into identifying the three big rocks of the webinar, we want to kind of highlight, of course, Todd Wright. And I personally just want to welcome him and thank him for being a part of this webinar. And for those viewers, this guy is one special person. Not only is the, the vice president of player development and an assistant coach for the Los Angeles Clippers, he's the founder for Train for the Game in Austin, Austin Texas, which is a fitness, performance, and restoration facility. He's also a Gray Institute gift fellow. And more importantly, he's just a dear friend and one of our biggest heroes. So, Todd, welcome to the webinar. We're just going to turn it over to you to say some words. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys. It means a lot that I can be here today with you guys to collaborate. Obviously, the sentiments are they are they are equal on my side. I, I feel very blessed and fortunate that um, our paths crossed twenty plus years ago. And um, just to share a little bit about myself, so I am a coach by trade for twenty five years. Um, and shortly into that uh, career path, I I. I ventured into a chain reaction seminar in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, um, and you know, the, the glasses that I wore at that time were very traditional based. Um, and I had some issues with athletes at the time that I went to explore and try to learn and discover some new things. And quickly at the end of that first chain reaction, I knew I needed a new pair of glasses. Um, and 
follow back over the next couple of years. I think it was four or five years continuous that I took the exact same course. You know, we went from Raleigh to, to Boston, to Portland. Um, I think San Diego was one. And there was another one that I did five years in a row. And then I realized each time just how much more I took out of those chain reaction seminars that this was going to be a major staple in, in how I wanted to view uh, movement and training and, and restoration, how to rehab um, athletes and people. And truth be known, <clears throat> I can't begin to tell you the impact that not only just personally, how what a gift it, it is to know you guys personally, but the gift that the knowledge that you guys have, have shared with me and provided with me and just how many people that that has helped over the last 20 years. And so um, I'm, I'm exceptionally excited to sit here today and uh, to collaborate and, and banter back and forth with you on a, on a, on a piece of anatomy that, um, that can be really misunderstood and, and one that when you start to look at the architecture to it and the origin insertions, that it, it'll really make you think, you know, how to, how to train it differently. So I'm, I'm stoked to be here with you guys today. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to, to getting after it. All right. Well, thanks so much, Todd. We too are stoked. And as Todd alluded to, that we're going to be highlighting a, a significant part of the body that has significant impact on the rest of the body, as well as the rest of the body having significant impact on it. And that's, of course, the hamstrings. So with hamstrings and injuries, the functional truth, we want to cover three big rocks here in this webinar. Uh, the first big rock is current trends to training prevention and rehab of hamstrings. The second rock is gonna be chain reaction biomechanics of hamstrings and how this relates to training, prevention, and rehab. And then finally, the third rock that we would like to cover is practical applications movements to enhance function of the hamstrings and the rest of the body. And it's really going to be a journey, if you will, kind of like Todd mentioned, that there's a way that we're traditionally taught about how the body moves, and it's very segmented. Um, the, the integration or the chain reaction that Todd talked about really, of course, has been the seminar that Gary's been teaching for well over the last 30 years that continues to grow with the information. Uh, but more we learn about it, the more we understand there's a lot more to learn. And I think that's really the testament of the hamstrings as well as the rest of the body. So as your facilitator of this webinar, I'm going to go ahead and tee you two uh, studs up, and then I'm going to kind of exit, and then I'll come back in to help facilitate the rest of the big rocks and some of the information. Uh, but as we kickstart this webinar with the first rock, I would love for you guys just to kind of banner and talk about the current trends for training prevention and rehab of hamstrings, not only from a training standpoint, but also what we're seeing a lot from an injury standpoint and what the correlation may be. Great job. It's great being here with you too, Boog. Uh, as many of you who have watched the webinars before, you know the wisdom that uh, Dougie brings to the whole system. So uh, we appreciate him uh, kind of scaling this up for Toddy and I. Uh, kind of give us some guidance and direction. And as indicated, he'll be coming back to, to demonstrate some of the things that we're going to jibber-jabber about, uh, Todd. But uh, I think probably the first thing, um, if 
we were just kind of sitting around having dinner and uh, a bunch of us were maybe in charge of other people's lives like you are on a daily basis. Uh, and we said, hey, what about this hamstring thing? What's going on with this hamstring thing? Because we see, as Dougie said, in all disciplines, in basketball and football and soccer and, and uh, hockey and obviously in baseball, we're seeing a lot of hamstring injuries. Um, and then we're seeing when people kind of get back, maybe kind of a re-injure that hamstring. And there seems to be a lot of, I, I'm not sure if it's controversy, confusion, or just conceptual things about the hamstring. So if I said, hey, Toddy, before you take a, you know, a bite of your salad there, tell us just any thoughts that you have just to kind of set the foundation for understanding, like you say, this really uh, intriguing part of the body, human part of the body called the hammies. Sure. So when I first um, got involved with you, Gary, you know, right after Chain Reaction, you guys came out with the Video Digest series. And which, you know, it's just so, it's so dense of knowledge. And, but I always remember the hamstring video and, uh, and you come riding in on that horse and the horse rain analogy. And, and I was instantly really kind of pulled in. And this was an early part of my career where, uh, I was just really starting to discover functional anatomy because of you and how you made me think. And so when you look at, you know, the hamstrings, um, you know, all of them tying in on the ischial tuberosity and then coming down, wrapping down and then crossing the knee joint, you know, one medially and one, well, really two, two laterally in the biceps femoris and the long and short head. And then the semitendinosus and the semimembranosus tying in on that medial part of the tibia, you instantly start to look at the architecture and the angulation to those muscles and you start to think, well, it doesn't really represent a sagittal plane dominant muscle group. Um, but yet in traditional training, um, you know, load is king in traditional training where, where my eyes have been opened is I don't think it's king. I think it's, I think it's variability of direction um, to influence um, those, if we're talking true function, right? If, if um, and sometimes traditional training is based off of strong, just strong, but strong doing what? And a lot of the training just didn't mimic functional movement, right? It was all really based in, um, in a stance or, not really with your feet on the ground and um but a lot of the traditional training and for hamstrings was very sagittally plane dominant and and sagittally plane dominant in which the knee really doesn't function um and so that was a major eye-opening experience to me when i watched that video digest um and just understanding the true power of the transverse plane because of how it's attached on the ischial tuberosity and how the pelvis is a three-dimensional vehicle in space. And then obviously those muscles come down like the horse reins like you were talking about in the video, video attached on the, you know, the lateral parts of the lower leg. And then if you look at the chain reaction biomechanics to the subtalar joint, and when the foot hits the ground, the calcaneus everts, the talus falls down and in the mid tarsal joint collapses and we get internal rotation of the lower leg, which starts to take those hamstrings for a ride. And so you got two influences, one from the ground up and one from the pelvis down. And just looking at, 
the uh, amount of different forces that you can put in through the three planes of motion was just a huge discovery for me. And, um, and it made me really think differently about how to train it. Well, um, the bad news about uh, capturing this on Zoom is when you're talking, uh, Todd, uh, they don't get to see me. Uh, that probably could be good news for most people, but I wish they could have seen me as you went through that discussion because I had a big grin on my face. Uh, and the reason I had a grin on my face is I'm thinking, there he goes again. He's describing this better than I describe it and in a way that everybody's going, wow, that, that's just, uh, I think your ability because of all of your experience and what you do on a daily basis, I think this understanding, uh, and I, I, I'm going to steal one from you here, it's really the variability of what the hamstring has to do that we have to understand, that we have to properly train and condition uh, and kind of get it going. So uh, I wish everybody could have uh, seen the smile I have it on my face. I think um, probably the two biggest things uh, that I think there's a misconception that some trends are now following with the hamstring, uh, number one is that, as you said, it's primarily a sagittal plane muscle. And you just said it beautifully. It kind of sticks there in the butt, uh, initial tuberosity, and you got a couple coming around the lateral side, you got a couple coming around the medial side like the reins of a horse, and immediately, as you said, Todd, it, you see it's, it's dominance in the transverse plane. So if I had to give it a dominance, I'd give it a transverse plane dominance like you said. Uh, so the question is, are we lengthening it in the transverse plane? Are we strengthening it in the transverse plane? In the way that you just brilliantly said, it has to be done from the ground up and top down. Uh, so from the ground up, you just gave a, a biomechanical scenario of what the foot does better than I've ever heard. And um, I remember some guy in Riley uh, that kind of initially just admitted that even in physical therapy school, let alone being getting our strength and conditioning certification, they didn't tell us much about the foot. They forgot to tell us our athletes have feet on them uh, and that they're very powerful. And like you say, I, I, I steal a lot of your phraseology, Todd, because I think it's so brilliant. It, when that subtalar joint everts and everything internally rotates because of what that tail is doing, it takes the hamstring for a ride. And if we don't prepare the hamstring for a ride, then it's a big deal. The second trend, I think, is, is understanding that the hamstring decelerates hip flexion and knee flexion. Now, you were taught, I was taught, in school that it actually is a knee flexor, so therefore it decelerates knee extension. Guess what? That's true. If I'm laying on a table and I bend my knee, the hamstring concentrically contracts and it bends the knee. So yes, that's what it does, but you made a huge distinction. When the foot hits the ground, everything changes. And one of the biggest thing that changes, and it's huge in the context of understanding hopefully what we're going to ultimately get to with our strategies for the hamstring is it is no longer a knee flexor. It is a knee extensor. It is a decelerator primarily of internal and external rotation of the trunk and of the pelvis and of the foot. And it also has huge ramifications in the frontal plane. You can just see that if I have something here that goes here, I can decelerate this with this pull and I can decelerate this with this pull. Uh, so that's kind, of a, that's kind of a big deal and kind of some misconceptions uh, with the hamstring. Anything else relative to just things that you kind of see, uh, seen done? Uh, what I like about your ability is you have this uh, very humble 
uh, ability to challenge things and not make people feel bad. bad. I strangely enough have the opposite approach. I think it's because I'm uglier and I have deep set eyes and I just look like an old cranky guy. Uh, but sometimes when we see people working out uh, in the training room and doing things to get faster and go quicker and move better on a basketball court or on a football field, uh, we kind of go, hmm, I wonder why you're doing that. So what are the, some of the things you've questioned over your career? And what are some of the things that you'd really like the, our audience, who really is the hero here because they're taking time to listen, you'd like them to hear? Um, you know, I, I thought one of the big things in the, uh, in the discovery process was um, when you're looking at movement, um, you know, the authenticity to the movement, right? And you, and you taught us the primary drivers of, you know, ground, ground reaction, mass momentum, um, and gravity, and, and, and just how those things are affected when the, our body's, you know, moving in space. Um, that opened my eyes to look at uh, training. And so when I was looking at some of the exercises that I was traditionally taught and learned, a lot of them weren't moving in space. They were stationary in space. Um, but you gave me the ability to look at, um, because of my, my knowledge in, in what you gave me in, in functional anatomy, I was able to start to look at the architecture of those muscles and how they actually blend with each other and how they work integratively. One another principle that you taught me early. And so a great example of that hamstring complex is that that penzanserine complex that, you know, brings in the sartorius and the gracilis and, and the diagonal nature of those muscles, right? And then how they're blending in with the hamstring muscle. And it's, it's really hard to deny when you're looking at this, that this is a sagittally plane dominant muscle. Um, so all of a sudden you start to do a checklist of what you put together in the functional movement spectrum. And, you know, I would say, you know, I like to use the word, the functional density scale, right? And so as you start to go through that functional movement spectrum, how many of those things are included? Um, you know, are we using ground reaction correctly, mass momentum and, and gravity? Are we using that authentically? Are we using three planes of motion? Um, you know, are we using the, the influences or tweaks that we can um, enhance that movement through speed and, and range of motion and load. So you gave me a, a blueprint, you know, on how to just basically look at and evaluate it. And, and that's basically how train for the game, the name train for the game was evolved. It was, you know, when, when I met you, I was fortunate enough to be working with some pro golfers and I was working with some elite basketball players and, and, um, but the movements of the game were different. And so examining what the chain reactions were within those games was key. And that's what, uh, you know, came through, hence the name train for the game, is that the programming had to change according to the functional demands and the tasks of the, of the people that we were working with. Um, but if anything, the, the, uh, the applied functional science systems gives you a blueprint to be able to think. Right. It's not telling you do this exercise. It's giving you the principles on which would. And this is what I loved about the teaching. It was so different. Right. A lot of teachers. Uh, hey, here's here's the exercises. You know, go do this. You gave us a canvas that said, hey, 
here's the principles. This is what, this is how the body's really designed. And you made us think. And you did give us strategies, but the most powerful thing of AFS is it, it, all of our journeys are different. And so we all look through different glasses because of what we learned in, in, our, in the people we've been exposed to. Um, so this is what I, I loved about the, the, the teachings and the science and the methodology was you gave us a big blueprint on how to think and not just say, hey, do this because this is the right exercise to do. If you remember, uh, recently I had the privilege of hanging out with you and seeing you at work. Um, and I know uh, that day I called Dougie and I go, man, this is, for me, this is gold. Because uh, I do remember giving Todd three different colors, the three primary colors. I do remember giving him a paintbrush, some principles and truths. But I don't remember painting such a, a beautiful piece of art. And I told Doug, I says, it's because Todd is with it and doing it all day long. He's watching the forms of movement. When the, when, the, when the athlete moves, what kind of shapes are they forming? And realizing those shapes aren't linear shapes. Those shapes got a lot of rotation and diagonals and twists and turns. Uh, and immediately, your ability to apply those shapes for mobility and stability and power at all the joints, at all the muscles, kind of in a very artistic way, where I'll see you work with your athlete on the table, then I see you work with the athlete standing, and then I see you work with the athlete moving, then I see you work with the athlete doing your FMR, then I see you work with the athlete out on the court, and it's this perfect blend. It's like, whoa, um, this, this is what it's all about. And, and, and I appreciate you sharing that because our goal as an applied functional science is to give our movement specialists, our movement scientists, the truth the undeniable truth, and then the strategy. So yeah, they can kind of decide what they what they kind of want to kind of kind of want to do with it all. Um, if you don't mind, uh, I'm going to ask Doug to sneak in real quick because you brought up something, and we're going to we're going to normally I, I I waste a lot of time on this, but I promise not to waste time. And Doug and I are going to banter this back and forth. You mentioned the litmus test, and for me, the litmus test is gold. Uh, the good news is it's all stuff that's been out there for thousands of years. Gravity's been there a while, mass and momentum's been there for a while, ground's been there for a while, three planes of motion, the whole thing. But early on in my career, uh, one of the things we did for hamstrings, we actually measured the torqueability of the hamstring with isokinetic machines. We spent $40,000 to buy a machine so we could determine how strong the hamstring was only in the sagittal plane without the foot on the ground and without the hip moving, which should have been our first, like, this doesn't make much sense to me. We should have just looked at it. We should have just stepped back and saw somebody sitting there and going, does that look anything like the motion they're going through when they injure their hamstring? Or when they're on the basketball court and they want to be effective and they want to get somewhere quick and they want to post up nice and they want to have good balance. And we, we realized early on that there was, as we call it, gaposis between the two. That $40,000 piece of equipment that had the hamstring thing and what the hamstring really did, there was gaposis. Now, sometimes we say, as you know, Todd, sometimes we say gaposis isn't all that bad as long as you don't have gaposis. But sometimes if the thing over here, you're doing just the opposite of what the hamstring wants it to do, not a compliment, but an opposite, i.e. teaching it how to bend the knee when it gets torn when it's actually decelerating knee flexion, it's extending the knee, and it's decelerating rotation of the knee and the foot and the hip, and it's decelerating ab and adduction of the knee and, and calcaneal inversion, eversion, and ab and adduction of the hip. 
and so when we look at that, now we laugh at it and go on, why would we even dream of teaching somebody to do just the exact opposite? And so the way we got there, Dougie, and uh, I, I, I like when you kind of blast through this, okay. just, just blast through and just take a look at relative to just a hamstring, and, and I'll let you pick on, everybody hears me pick on the knee uh, machine too much and they think I'm just an ordinary guy, but just kind of go through it as quick as you can, and then I want to come back to another trend real quick and ask Todd about that. Download the Gray Institute app for exclusive access to resources, training tools, and community. At Gray Institute, we pioneered the field of applied functional science. Now we're excited to offer exclusive updates on movement science, best practices, and other resources to our Gray Institute community of professionals. Our app offers practical tools that can improve both your practice and your client or patient performance. Our app offers powerful tools including access to the HomeFit app, exclusive community forum, webinars and extensive resources, and it's free to download. Download the Gray Institute app today, available from Google Play and the Apple Store. Okay, well, I'll do my best to kind of power through this, but, you know, every time I hear Todd talk, I just kind of smile because there's so much brilliance in the succinctness of his words. And when he talks about train for the game, he's ultimately saying that you have to train for a purpose. And whether the game is basketball, whether the game's football, whether the game is life or simply upright function, you have to allow your training to parallel that which you're training for. And as Gary said, it's okay to have gaposis in your training if what you're doing is ultimately leading you to make the movement more functional. However, gapposis is not good when your training is the exact opposite of what you need to do for the game, for life, for the true function of the body. And I think a lot of the, the trends here in the industry right now is we're seeing a lot of hamstrings being injured. And some of it just might be fluke, but I would argue that most of it might be a lack of preparation to allow the hamstrings to do what they need to do. And that's to decelerate motion in all three planes, not just the sagittal plane, but the frontal and the transverse plane. And how we can really come up with a litmus test is what Todd talked about, and that's that functional movement spectrum, which just happens to be right over here over my shoulder. And this functional movement spectrum has been gold for us movement professionals because this essentially is what applied functional science is. It's the convergence of the physical, the biological, and the behavioral sciences, the principles that have already been proven true that all we need to do is leverage them strategically to facilitate the right movements. And so from the physical world, we talk a lot about environment and gravity and ground reaction force and mass and momentum. And from the biological world, we talk a lot about motion and reaction and proprioceptors and muscles, joints, tasks, specificity, and mobility and stability. And then from the behavioral science, we talk a lot about encouragement, empowerment, and engagement. And how we decipher the context to what is functional is guided by these principles. So in our training, we ultimately want the environment to be natural for that which we're training for. For gravity and ground reaction force, we wanna use it, not confuse it. And a lot of times with ground reaction force, especially when we're talking about the hamstrings, we gotta have the foot on the ground because one, 
That's how the body functions when we're moving and we're changing direction. But if we already have agreed that the hamstrings have to decelerate frontal plane motion as well, we have to have ground reaction force for the knee to go through frontal plane motion. So we're going to allow that to guide our process. Mass and momentum has to be leveraged versus neglected. Uh, Todd said something brilliant. It's variability and change of direction that is now king. Because if you can't control the change of direction with your body, how are you expect to control it when there's an external load on it? So leveraging mass and momentum and change direction really is the name of the game in order to train for the game because that's many times when the hamstrings are injured is because our body is changing direction and our hamstrings haven't been trained to accept that load and facilitate the explode in all three planes of motion and if it hasn't of course it's going to be injured in the process motion has to be three-dimensional the hamstrings are not a sagittal plane muscle even though it decelerates of course what happens at the knee and the hip primarily in the sagittal plane because the range of motion is the greatest. But understanding that the hamstrings are a triplane muscle, we have to facilitate the frontal and transverse plane motions, and it's the subtleties of those motions that are actually most powerful for the hamstrings. So we have to keep that in our mind as we're training and preventing and rehab for the hamstrings. Body operates as a chain reaction. We can't just isolate the hamstrings and say, okay, what's happening at the knee and what's happening at the hip? It's what's happening at the knee, hip, as well as the foot, as well as the rest of the body, specifically that thoracic spine. Proprioceptors need to be facilitated. Muscles need to react. If we're going to ask our hamstrings to act, we're missing the point because it's movement that turns on proprioceptors. Proprioceptors then turn on the muscle to react to the movement and control it. So our muscles really are like me. They're just dumb. They're along for the ride. They're just here to have some fun, man. But they're going to have the most fun if we can facilitate the right motions at the joints and allow the muscles to simply react the way they need to in all three planes. The joints, of course, are integrated, so we want to take a look at the entire body. You know, when the foot hits the ground, everything does change, as Todd and Gary were talking about. And if we can just understand that chain reaction biomechanics, even when we're just taking a step, Todd said when we took a step and that talus falls down and in at that subtalar joint, it creates a chain reaction. It allows the midfoot to be mobile and adaptable and be unlocked so that we can create the shock absorption. But once that talus falls down and in, whoop, the rest of the body's going along for the ride in the transverse plane. And so we need to know not only how the foot functions, but how the hips function as well as the thoracic spine function if we're really going to take the best care of our hamstrings. Transformation really is specificity. And then combining mobility and stability really, I think, is the other king in this kingdom that we're talking about. Load is kind of the traditional king, but the functional king is really variability. And part of that variability in this kingdom is allowing the body to be mobile and stable. It's one thing to have the flexibility of our body or our hamstrings to go through triplane movement, but we can't leave it at that. We have to train the body to control that motion from a stability standpoint to truly protect the entire body, including the hamstrings. The behavioral sciences of doing encouragement with success and empowerment with an internal locus of control and engagement with relevant movements really continues to be the name of the game. And how I look at that is basically saying, when I'm moving, do I feel like I'm in control? When I'm moving, do I feel like I'm going through movements 
that are relevant to what I'm ultimately going to be moving for. And right there, that's the sniff test. If I'm watching somebody train to strengthen and make the hamstrings a little bit more flexible, the one question I'm going to ask myself is that what it looks like out on the floor? If that what it looks like out on the playing field, does that look like what this person needs to do at home? And if the answer's no, I think we can take that trend in the industry and say, nice start, but we have to do better. We have to allow our understanding of how the body really moves to be replicated in how we're going to move and strengthen the hamstrings and the rest of the body. And how we can say that with confidence isn't based on Gary's theory or Todd's theory or Doug's theory or Gray Institute's theory. We don't do that. We don't mess with theory. We look right at these principles that are being true and say, based on the truth, how then do we progress? So that's the functional movement spectrum, and that's kind of where I get excited about because this really makes our job easier as movement professionals because we have our compass. Where it gets fun is what it looks like from a movement application standpoint, which adds more variability so that we can use our creativity to truly meet the needs of the individual in front of us. That's an awesome job. Um, job really good job. The... Uh, one of the things I want you to comment on, Todd, and this is something you taught me early on, um, which I didn't appreciate much, but then when I saw the athletes that you need to deal with on a daily basis and what they need to be ready for, is you, when you work with your athletes uh, and, and create motion through all the joints and all three planes of motion, uh, and obviously we're talking about the posterior chain now, a lot of hamstring stuff, I noticed that you create kind of a buffer zone. In other words, when you work with your athletes kind of off weight bearing and on weight bearing and in the true stretch and then on the floor, you're giving them opportunities to go a little bit beyond what they're going to need to do on the floor, which a lot of times I'm guilty. I just, I'm not sure I get there. I might get them to the threshold of what they need, but I don't give them that magic buffer zone, which I think is really key in enhancing performance and preventing injury. But you are one of the very early um, uh, movement specialists uh, that start talking about restoration. Uh, I remember when I first met you and I got to visit you in Texas talking about the recovery of your athletes. It's kind of, uh, it's a big deal now. A lot of people finally are talking about it. But you were talking about it early on and, and not necessarily what we do for training and, and performance and what we do prior to the game, but then after we play the game, there's a special kind of a three-dimensional dynamic cool-down that we want everything to actually be restored and so it's ready to go the next day. Can you just kind of just share from your heart and your mind just your thoughts on the, the way you create resiliency and the rate, way you create buffer zones and just your understanding of uh, what we would call restoration or recovery process? Um, you know, I think Dougie had some real great, great points in, uh, in going over the functional movement spectrum. And, you know, as a coach, tra training is all about adaptation, right? Like we want to pick um, exercise selection and, and strategies that allow our athletes to adapt and develop movement characteristics of, you know, strength and power, um, you know, coordination, agility, balance, stability. Um, but how can we do it in a way that is more functionally dense? So early in my career, when I first got with you guys, you know, I, I had totally flipped completely to everything had to be integrated. And 
But then I really started to learn, and you guys taught me this too, that it was okay to go to some global things to try to help a particular area, but it always really wanted to end up in the integrated component. So that scale could go from a little bit local to I could I could use my hands on a table to, you know, hydrate a, a particular area of the of the ankle or the hamstring or mobilize the hip using my hands. And but the ultimate goal was to build that into um, the three-dimensionality and, and, and functionality of integrated upright movement. Um, but for a while, I was so on the other side. And what happened, it became a little bit of a frustration because I could see things in movement that I knew that uh, I probably needed to try to get to a little bit more. And then Obviously, the, the next layer was the functional manual reaction component that you guys gifted us with and, and understanding how to look at chain reaction biomechanics and slow something down with your hands or, or teach the athlete or the person the chain reaction that they should be feeling as, as we're trying to move them globally. Um, but in regards to, you know, the training system and the restoration component, I think examining the mobility of the foot, the hip, and the trunk, the thoracic spine is a, is a really key component to be able to dig out and see what maybe that person might be lacking in. And can you have an evaluation process of um, gauging the mobility of the, the triplane mobility of the foot, the hip, and the thoracic spine? Um, but mobility is a key piece. And how can we, you know, get the foot innervated and the hip innervated in the thoracic spine innervated in all three planes, you know, from slow to fast. And then, you know, how can we develop strength and coordination in those, in those patterns and then eventually get to the power base? How fast can we actually move at it? And so I look at those three big pieces in, in regards to the training system. And then in regards to the restoration component, Gary, you know, shortly after I was able to really grab this huge blueprint from you guys. I think in the last 10 years, you and I both have discovered this fascial system and, and, and how, how the, and what the cool part of the fascial system did for me, it really reinforced applied functional science. Like everything's connected, everything's integrated, you know, the fascial architecture is omnidirectional, right? It's, and so you look at the two anatomy laws of, of, uh, you know, Wolf's and Davis's law, that according to the directions that we as coaches choose to put mechanical force into the soft tissue system, we'll lay down lines of reinforcement in those directions. Well, why wouldn't we want to lay down as many lines of force and with, with the variability of movement and Wolf's law being the corollary to it, same thing with bone and the trabeculi, you know, that if I could influence our, our fascial system and, and, functional anatomy and three planes of motion and, and dose it on a daily basis of what we would call accumulation opportunities. And so a lot of coaches feel like you have to have an hour training session in order to create results. That's not the case. If I worked on triplane mobility of the hamstring every day for three or four minutes, those opportunities will accumulate over time to create a more robust hamstring and understanding and, and line, laying down those lines of reinforcements through Davis's law. Um, 
And so, you know, the restoration component, we um, unfortunately, all of us at some point in time have a trauma in our life, right? There's an injury that happens that that changes how we can load and explode. And, and, uh, and so restoring that tissue resilience in that area and then slowly progressing it back into from, you know, where we have some strength and they get bigger ranges of motion and then faster ranges of motion, but checking the box that we're doing that in all three planes of motion in order to restore that, um, that injury so we can have the tensional balance in our body, the tensegrity in our body to help us do what we love and, and perform at our highest levels when, when you're working with some of the athletes that, that we're working with, you know? Ask yourself, are you looking to reconcile differences and inconsistencies in your movement education? Do you desire to know more about how the body truly functions, how it truly moves? Are you treating or training causes or just the compensations? Do you want to be able to treat or train any and every patient or client effectively? Are you looking to rejuvenate your career, enhancing your passion and purpose? Do you want to share an experience with other passionate movement professionals? GIFT, Great Institute for Functional Transformation. Transform your career and transform your patient and client's lives. We're proud to offer two program options for GIFT 2022. GIFT Fellows will have the opportunity to complete their fellowship entirely online or to attend two GIFT gatherings in addition to their online mentorship. This will provide GIFT Fellows with the flexibility they need to stay nimble in our ever-changing world. GIFT is a 40-week mentorship program in applied functional science. GIFT provides certification in functional manual reaction as part of the 40-week mentorship program, as well as being credentialed and recognized as a Fellow of Applied Functional Science. An FAFS has the knowledge, analytical ability, and hands-on manual skills necessary for the application and integration of the core content of the GIFT curriculum, thus strategically designating you as a member of a select group of practitioners synonymous with the highest standard of care in the functional analysis of human movement. The program begins Thursday, February 3rd, 2022, and concludes the week of October 31st, 2022. Apply now at grayinstitute.com. Well, if, uh, uh, and I'm going to do this. Uh, anybody watching this, uh, here's, here's my hint. Go replay what Todd just said. Uh, there were so many gold nuggets in there, you're just kind of going, wow. And he just kind of, as uh, Dougie said, he just kind of seamlessly knows how to just kind of, because he, he lives these truths and they come on out. So I, I appreciate that, uh, Toddy. One of the things you mentioned is the kind of the, uh, and I, I not only made that mistake for years, but I continue to make the mistake, is I don't, I don't necessarily understand that I got to maybe go after something a little more isolated and maybe just a pinch non-functional. But what you're brilliant at that I saw firsthand, is you'll take something like a lengthening of the hamstring and the sagittal plane on the table, but you'll instantly put in the frontal plane, both ab and adduction of the hip and the knee, and at the same time, I see you playing with the subtalar joint. I'm going, this is brilliant. And then even in abduction, you go both internal and external rotation with the flexion, and when you go adduction, you go both internal and external of the, of sub, of the leg and of the subtalar joint and of the hip and the pelvis, and I'm sitting back going, 
That's brilliant. That's just brilliant. But what I think is as brilliant is how you seamlessly then get the athlete off the table and then integrate that so the proprioceptors now go, great job, Todd. You reinforce functionally what I'm going to need on the floor. Now that I'm on the floor, I can now utilize this new gift you gave me of this proper fascial mobility, fat, proper mobility of the tissue, whatever it is, my joints moving better. And as Dougie said, proprioceptors are being turned on more and I'm more effective. Real quick before we kind of get talk about some techniques, and the first one we're going to talk about, I think you already know which one I'm going to talk about, Todd, the one that uh, back in the day I got beat up because I made fun of the Cybex, isokinetic, uh, Kincom Cybex. It wasn't just them that had the isokinetic machine. Uh, but I made fun of the fact that they we had to spend $40,000 to teach the knee, uh, the hamstring to flex the knee. And now we don't do that, thank goodness. Uh, but back then, I wasn't the most popular guy. Uh, and I'm going to show you an exercise that a lot of people are using. And the initial bristle will be, uh, that's a bad guy again. Uh, there he is. And so we'll go there. But before we do that, I think it's really important that we just quickly review the chain reaction biomechanics of the hamstring. Because everybody's going, I, I hear you guys talking about three planes of motion and stuff, but what does it really do? It's a subconscious thing that the muscle does because it's getting turned on by proprioceptors. When I'm walking or running, and this, we'll talk about my right leg right now, I have this blessed opportunity where I load primarily the anterior chain here, and my leg comes flying through in what we call swing phase. Now, in swing phase is a time where most muscles aren't doing a lot, except the hamstrings are. When we get to terminal swing phase, my hamstring is sensing the hip flexing and sensing now the knee extending because the foot's not on the ground. And it gets turned on. EMG shows us that we definitely need to train the hamstring and off weight bearing relative to the other foot on the ground. Not off weight bearing with both feet off the ground, but during swing phase. But as soon as that foot hits the ground, you said it beautifully, Todd. The foot collapses, the calcaneus everts. We go through this motion, a global thing of pronation. The knee flexes, it abducts and internally rotates. The hip flexes, adducts and internally rotates. And guess who controls all of those motions? The hamstring. So the hamstring eccentrically decelerates knee flexion, knee abduction, knee internal rotation, hip flexion, hip adduction, hip internal rotation, and obviously calcaneal eversion of the foot, and, and as Dougie said, unlocking of the metarsal joint. And we know it also decelerates the forward momentum of the trunk, the lateral flexion of the trunk, and the rotation of the trunk, which that's what the athlete's doing upstairs to generate more force. So you go, Whoa, you must be pretty important, huh, Hammy? And Hammy goes, yeah, I'm real important. Uh, I'm real important. I'm part of that posterior chain that uh, if you train me properly, I'm going to do some good things for you. But if you confuse me, um, I, might, I, I might confuse you. And, and so understanding that, that the muscle, the hamstring functions eccentrically first, and then it has this ability to then use its transverse plane power eccentrically to now extend the hip. Now to actually get the knee to go from flexion into extension, to get the knee to go from abduction. You can even see these lateral hamstrings pulling it back into adduction. You can see it going from internal rotation to external rotation. You can see the hip going from internal rotation to, believe it or not, more internal rotation to even wind up the hamstring and have it function 
It's a confusing term, but you know it very well, econcentric, that during this time the muscle is functioning eccentrically and concentrically at the same time. That's how we're able to move and generate force and take advantage of gravity, ground reaction force, mass and momentum. It's pretty, pretty when you think about the miracle of the body, uh, we have to be in awe. You sit there uh, on the sideline and watch your athletes get up and down the floor, we're in awe. I mean, it's like, look at this. This is unbelievable uh, what, what they're able to do. And when you, we scratch your head and try to figure out how it does it, it kind of it kind of is like, well, and so in applied functional science, sometimes it's as easy as if this is what the hamstring does, well, let's do that. But then let's add a little more. So let's do some anterior lunges, primarily sagittal plane. Let's do some lunges where we now add a little more frontal plane. Let's do some lunges where I toe in and toe out and I get a little more transverse plane. Let's use 3D maps and do our posture chain where now I'm looking at the stance leg. I go straight back. I go back in the frontal plane and I also go back in the transverse plane to say hamstring, I know you gotta be ready to rock and roll in all three planes of motion, I'm gonna use ground reaction force, mass and momentum, and the drivers of the body to get you there. I'm gonna even have you rotate your head as you're going through there. So, Dougie will show us some of those. Doug, would you mind getting the pad? Um, uh, if I get this out of my system, then we don't have to talk about it anymore. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, somebody said, well, here's the best exercise for hamstring because it's eccentric. And I go, okay. I remember on the Cybex, they had a passive mode because it was concentric, but then they gave it a passive mode, so now they said now it's gonna be eccentric, and eccentric of decelerating knee extension. That didn't work either, and here's why that didn't work. So this exercise, people call it a bunch of different things. If you wouldn't mind getting on your knee in the pad, okay, and there's a clap back here. Sometimes you'll actually see in training room the uh, partner grabbing the person's ankle. There are, also, there are now pieces of equipment that actually cramp you down here. And there's a pad on your knee, and what Doug's supposed to do is go forward. Okay, a little bit forward, come back now. Okay, go forward again, come back now. Okay, great. Now you can hop up. Okay, now just be Pooh Bear. Look at that and tell me when we do that. It's like... That looks ridiculous, okay? Didn't mean the exercise ridiculous, let's look at that, but I'll add to that, I believe what we're doing there is we're in an artificial position, we're not using gravity the way it should with the knees flexed like that. The most important joint that Todd just said that the hamstring may control is the subtalar joint. What is it doing? Absolutely nothing, it's being dormant. We're concentrating on the sagittal plane even though we could add a little frontal transfers. But here's the big, 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 red flag to that particular movement. It's teaching the hamstring to do what my mama said is back assward. It's teaching the hamstring to decelerate knee extension, which makes it a concentric knee flexor. So if I'm a proprioceptor in the fascia system, in the hamstring, in the tendons, in the joint capsules, I'm saying, okay, when the body leans forward, you're supposed to decelerate this motion. But when I stand up, it's supposed to decelerate the exact opposite motion. So not only do we have gaposis, but we have something that's not uh, even on the same spectrum because it's the opposite. And so all I'm saying is back in 1978 when I got up and said, you can't learn to dance while sitting on your pants, I'm gonna add to that. You can't learn to dance while on your knees. Uh, it's not gonna do the hamstring any good. Um, and 
get, get upset or get frustrated if you want, but logic, our litmus test, and knowing that it's facilitating the exact opposite. I don't care if you can measure it. I don't care if you can have a pressure gauge under there. I don't care if you put weights uh, here. It's just, in my mind's eye, the wrong thing to do. Now, you might want to buffer that a little bit for me, Todd, because you know kind of I get kind of excited about that stuff, but part of, part of our responsibility at Gray Institute is hopefully respectfully challenge things uh, so other people can prove us wrong. We, we, want, we want to throw things out there and challenge things, not just go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You can test it and, you know, you can measure it and it is eccentric and, yeah, that sounds good. Or we're going to look at it and go, no, 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 don't fall for it. Don't fall for that. It's a lot easier. It's a series of lunges. It's a series of balance reaches. It's a series of jumps and hops. It's a series of combining things where we really throw in a lot of gravity and massive momentum to the system. So um, get me out of a hole here, Todd. Either, either go, okay, uh, hey, I, I kind of agree with you a little bit, Gary, but uh, you're, a little, uh, you're a little tough on it or kind of give me a little help here, buddy. No, 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 no. I, I don't think that you're tough on it. I think you, we're using the blueprint. Right. You're giving us the blueprint and the principles of, you know, we do. I just got through saying like training is about adaptation. What do, what do you want the, the body to adapt to? Right. And when you look at the checklist that we just looked at, at the functional anatomy of the hamstring, if it does tie on the ischial tuberosity and then come down and tie on the knee joint. Right. Obviously, in in the Nordic exercise, the pelvis is going to be fixed. It's going to be. It's not going to allow any kind of transverse plane of motion, right? It's going to fall in the in the sagittal plane. And then the other part is that the knee is actually on the ground. It's 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 anchored into the ground, which isn't going to allow any kind of transverse plane or frontal plane. So instantly, that functional movement spectrum or the functional density checklist, we're probably not ticking some of those boxes, right? Like. It, it is a tool that you could probably create some adaptation into the hamstring, but adaptation for what? And like you said, the function to it is, you know, it's decelerating knee flexion, right? It's helping decelerate hip flexion, um, which it's not doing in, in either one of those. Um, and so I would just throw the question out to the coach, you know, if it is about adaptation, why would we want it to adapt in this in this uh in this way, shape, or form, you know, the, 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 the light bulb that the aha moments that, and I've had a bunch of them with you guys. Um, but the, when I really started to learn about traditional training, um, you know, some of the bet, and I've been really blessed to be around some amazing athletes, like in my life and made me, you know, as I was learning this stuff from you guys, and I had these, incredible athletes they reinforced each other because some of the best athletes i've ever had were terrible at the traditional training components but when they started the best athletes in the game that we that we're fortunate enough to coach in they're masters of this space they control their bodies in three-dimensional space like no other no they know how to use their bodies to deceive their opponent with a jab step or a speed step that opens space up for them to dominate and control this space, right? Um, but that space is very vector-based. It's very, you know, if I was standing in the center of a clock as I jab step to number two, right, I'm coming out of that space. Um, and that's where um, I think that 
if we're looking at that functional movement spectrum or, you know, like I would say that functional density checklist, I want to check more boxes to train the hamstring. I want the pelvis to be, I want the pelvis to be free in space. So if the right hip's coming back, I, I want to be able to see what's going on in this, in this world. And in that one exercise that you just showed, I don't think I get that much of a opportunity to do that. This is where um, it gets hard because research starts to show, oh, well, the this exercise helps hamstring recovery, you know, and there's so much research done on this exercise. And but in my mind, it's just simple logic. Like just looking at the design, the architecture, it just doesn't like Dougie said, like if it doesn't look it or sniff it, it doesn't, you know, in my mind, it's not it's not enhancing the movements of the of the game or the or the performance, the movement patterns that we want for our clients or athletes. Yep. It's just, I, I think you said it best. Uh, the scary part is, is when people start saying, well, research shows. No, no, it hasn't. Research has not shown that that exercise prevents injury. Research has not shown the recovery is better. Uh, there's no research that I've seen that anybody's shown me. Uh, because when you talk about functional research, it's very difficult to do. Because to be able to, to create a control group is next to impossible. So we've got to be careful. As soon as somebody says, well, the research shows... I like what you just said, but what does logic show? Because you, you can fool me with research. You can't fool me with logic. You can't fool me with what I see. Uh, if I see an athlete that has to jab this, to, you know, two o'clock, and I know this hamstring's doing something in all three planes, and I know this hamstring's doing something in all three planes, and I want to make him or her more proficient, and I put a weight here and I add more transverse plane with a uh, medicine ball, or I add more sagittal plane, or I add more frontal plane with a medicine ball, and I know that the hamstring works the whole clock. That's the cool part. It works from 1 to 12 o'clock, and it works not only when both feet are on the ground, but with just one foot's on the ground, and that's why with the... Uh, 3D maps, uh, we have what we call the posterior chain that is primarily the, the hamstring. Doug, would you do me a favor? Just take them through uh, the 3D maps, but do a tweak that we do where after we do the 3D maps, you do a hand drive in the frontal plane right. and a hand drive in the transverse plane, then a foot drive in the transverse plane, in the frontal plane, and then combine them. And all of a sudden, you're gonna, they'll see that, wait a minute, those are the forms and shapes of what athletes show mm -hmm. out there. And then, of course, 3D maps is looking at the stance leg, and then obviously we can correlate that immediately to the lungy leg, and that's right. the beautiful thing. Both hamstrings are doing something at all times. Okay. Uh, I think I'll eventually get there because okay. I'm sitting here, of course, standing here off to the side listening to you guys, and it's it, it all makes sense. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not, frankly, rocket science. It's applied functional science. And applied functional science really can be the study of one, and that's the individual body in front of us. And our job as movement professionals is to figure out how well that individual moves, what they need to do, and how we tweak their success towards those needs, wants, and goals. And that's really the name of the game. Uh, but when we're talking about uh, the hamstrings, the great thing is a lot of these ways that Gary and Todd are describing these movements demonstrate a little bit of the movement that says this is how the hamstrings really get turned on. 
And so if I had a professional in front of me or even a individual or athlete in front of me and I wanted him or her to start to, to feel what we're talking about, we kind of want to start with their teddy bear, what they're used to. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of times back in the day when I was going to start stretching out my hamstrings, I was just going to go ahead and touch my toes. And I'm going to allow my knees to bend a little bit, but I'm really trying to facilitate a lot of hip flexion because the books tell us that the hamstrings are a sagittal plane muscle group. Well, they are, but we also have the frontal and the transverse plane. So one thing that I like to do is say, now, if you want to touch your toes, do me a favor and just bias your feet in the frontal plane by going a little bit more narrow and touching your toes or going very much more wide and touching your toes or just come back to neutral and I want you to toe in a little bit and touch your toes and I want you to toe out a little bit and I want you to touch your toes and immediately the person's like, I feel a little bit differently. Of course you feel a little bit differently. You're feeling it more completely in all three planes. So understanding a little bit of that variability to what we already know really then starts us along a path of saying, wonder what else I can do based on what I already know traditionally. A squat is a wonderful example. A squat, when I go ahead and lower myself and I come back up, is a very functional movement that facilitates a lot of knee flexion and a lot of hip flexion. Well, what if we biased our feet in the squat pattern and had our right foot in front of our left or our left foot in front of the right or even more importantly going wide or narrow towed in or towed out or any of the above mix and matched, we're going to start to train our hamstrings to decelerate all those motions in three planes. Well, when Gary was talking, we use another functional movement, and of course, that's a lunge. Now, the great thing about a lunge is if I'm moving in front of my body, driving my leg, my driving leg is more involved with the hamstrings because lunge, by definition, is a dissipation of weight where I'm kind of allowing most of my weight to be dissipated on that lunging leg, facilitating knee flexion and hip flexion so that I can come back home. If I lunge backwards, that leg is still decelerating it, but the effect on the stance leg really allows the hip to be flexed and the knee to go through flexion as well, so both groups of hamstrings are really being emphasized on. That's a pretty cool name of the game or a good trait. So when Gary talks about 3D maps, when we go ahead and go through what we call the posterior chain, which is not only just a posterior lunge, but we want to facilitate on the stance hip more of what it's going through, in this case, flexion, and we use our hands to drive or swing posterior ankle or just down towards the ground to really emphasize what the hamstrings are doing. That allows our eyes to stay focused on the entire body, but hone in on the sagittal plane or hone in on what the hip is doing in the sagittal plane. But if we're really going to train the hamstrings to do what it needs to do, based on the chain reaction biomechanics, we already have a lot of strategies to use in varying the movements. One thing that we can do is not just lunge directly posterior, but we can go posterior to the right, and we can go posterior to the left, and immediately my stance leg hamstrings are saying, you're getting me a little bit more. I feel like the lateral side's getting more turned on when I go back to the opposite side, or I feel like the medial side's getting turned on more when I go back to the same side. Well, of course, because we're biasing the hip to do what we need to do based on how we want the hamstrings to 
react. I don't even have to think about what the hamstrings are doing. All I need is a conscious task on where to lunge and allow the body to do what it needs to do from a subconscious reaction. Another way that we can bias is not only going backwards or to the right or to the left, but we can also start to toe in and toe out in any of these directions where we're lunging and we're going to start to tweak in more of the transverse plane. That's simply what we can do with the driving foot within a lunge. But if we really want to continue to bias the hamstring, Todd said we also got to do it top down. Not just what the lower extremities are doing, but what the trunk's doing and what the upper extremities can do. So if I'm doing this posterior chain and I'm doing this posterior ankle reach, a simple deviation could be not only go down and towards the floor, but down to the right and towards the floor, or down to the left and towards the floor, or just go ahead and rotate my hands down to the right, or rotate my hands down to the left. And just by walking you through or talking you through those movements, you might not have seen a lot of motion happening on my stance leg, but I felt a lot of motion happening on my stance leg because I'm trying to use authentic drivers to facilitate the chain reaction that I want, which really is understanding what motions I want at the joints, knowing that if the joints are going through all three planes, the muscles have to react in all three planes. And so we want to take what we know, not only with lunges, but with any and all movements. Now, the cool thing is, is a simple tweak to a lot of this, is even if I was going to go ahead and lunge backwards, what I may want to do now is say, how can I add more load to my hamstrings without necessarily using an X Internal load. Essentially, how do I make sure that there's mobility there? But now, how do I emphasize stability? Instead of lunging, what 3D Maps teaches you is do a balanced foot reach at ground and then a balanced foot reach at ankle while you're doing those hand swings because now it's the involved leg that has to say, okay, you know I got the motion. Now you're testing me to see if I got the stability, the strength to control the motion, and that really closes the loop. So we don't necessarily have to go get some dumbbells or go get a core ball, which I love dumbbells, I love a core ball, but that would be a natural progression of tweaking, of adding more variability after we know that the body itself can decelerate the movement, can change direction, and has the mobility and stability to do that. So the key here is, what this litmus test, what this blueprint, what the functional movement spectrum tells us is take a look at the movement, ask yourself, does it look like that which we're training for? If it has a little bit of a scent to it, that's great. How do we make a bigger, better scent by tweaking the movement, making it more variable to ultimately look like the task at hand? But what Todd and Gary were talking about, I hope you were listening really close, was don't just end there, potentially create a little bit of a buffer zone by doing a little bit further, a little bit faster, under control and under success. So therefore, when your patient, where your client, where your athlete, where your individual goes out and does the game, he or she, the body says, been there, done that. And guess who's going to say the biggest thank you right now? Your hamstrings, because they're going to be playing 
nice string music versus the chord snapping you and wondering what the heck, why do I have a bad song? So take what you know traditionally to work well, and if that's your starting point, just figure out how to tweak it to make it look more like the task. That was awesome, Dougie. What's kind of fun is, as I was watching Dougie do, especially the toe touch, I, th I thought that was brilliant because a lot of people say, if I'm going to get my hamstring, I'm going to do that. Of course, he did a bottom-up kind of tweak. He still could have done toe touches where he came here and then he went in over here and rotated here, and all of a sudden people go, oh, that just actually feels better. That feels like I can walk better, I can run better. And of course, when we develop the true stretch, the same thing. That's why that trough is there. So you'll see the athletes put their heel in here and they'll lean forward and they'll rotate their heel to get the lateral and the medial hamstring while they're doing what Todd would say, go top down frontal plane, top down transverse plane. Then you'll see them do that with their footway over here to get more abduction. Then you'll see them do that to get more adduction. It's always just a logical thing, as Toddy said, of combining the planes of motion to make the form and the movement of the athlete adaptable to what they need to adapt to in the game that they're going to play. I don't think Todd could say it more brilliant than that. So great job, Doug. If you don't mind, I'm going to turn Todd loose on kind of a summary, just some thoughts. We could, uh, the bad news is, uh, maybe not bad news, the good news for me is I wish I could keep him here for about oh, a week or two. Uh, but I, I can't. We've been, he's been very gracious with his time. But Todd, if you wouldn't mind just kind of closing from your end, just, hey, you got some amazing people out there. They obviously care so much about their clients and their athletes and their patients. And I got Todd right in front of me. And uh, Todd's going to kind of say, hey, we've said a lot of jibber-jabber, a lot of stuff. But uh, at the end of the day, here's what I want you to think about. What, what would you tell them, Toddy? Um I would tell them this. I think what Doug just did a great job of, and it, and it probably took me eight years to understand this when I ventured into the applied functional science. He did an amazing job of reinforcing the blueprint of, of top down and bottom up, right? And so as my legs move in space, I can move in three different planes with my legs, but then I can create a different chain reaction with my upper body and with, with how my trunk and arms reach. And th that gives you a major, um, you know, a framework for you to think about and evaluate your athletes. Um, I'm really glad that you brought up the stretch cage, Gary, because obviously it's been a huge staple in, in my career since I've met you and I've probably purchased over 50 of them to this point, but, you know, training for the game, I think has 16 of them and our facility here, we probably have, you know, six or seven different ones. And the, the, you use some key words and characteristics of human movement, right? Mobility, stability, um, but the ability to coordinate those movement patterns without um, what I love about the cage is it gives you a point of stability to maybe get into some ranges of motion with some, some stability. Yeah. And then when Dougie stepped outside the cage and used the toe touch on a single leg stance to, you know, influence the, the stance leg, but give just enough stability with the toe touch that he could coordinate the movement, right? Um, and so it kind of shows all the tools that we have to take someone from where they are to where they want to be by just simply using the blueprint, right? We want to we want to have a you know be able to create the mobility, and then we want to be able to evaluate: do they have that mobility in three planes of motion? But now, do they have the stability with that mobility to coordinate a particular movement pattern? lunge, squat, um, you know, single leg squat. Uh, and then, you know, the precursors that I would 
how you guys really helped me learn was, you know, moving patterns from like a lunge to as it went up the spectrum to more powerful, that lunge would turn into a leap. You know, the squat would turn into a jump. But you gave me a spectrum on how to squat with speed, you know, squat with load and speed, squat with different foot positions. And then now the last piece is, can I take the weight away and now can I jump and trans and and transformatively jump where I'm coordinated. I have the stability and I have the mobility in all three of those joints that allows me to load and explode. Um, so I, I thought today was a great, uh, a great webinar from the standpoint that it's always great for me to be able to be with you guys. Cause I, every time I'm with you, I'm, I'm learning something again. And even today I got, you know, I just filled up three pages of notes uh, and I've known you guys for 20 years. I think that's the most exciting thing about this science is number one, you guys have done an amazing job creating a curriculum that is principle based that teaches you the why, why would I do this? Um, and then secondly, though, the human body is just absolutely amazing. And we're going to always find clients and athletes that are outside that normal pattern that maybe we might have found that that really makes us think even harder, right, on how to, on how to help create a, 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 a solution for that person. Um, but I thought it was a great uh, – I thought it was just – it was awesome for me to be able to hear you guys again. It's been a while since we've been able to connect. connect. Um, it's always a discovery moment for me when I'm with you guys. And, um, and I'm, I can't I've, – I've obviously expressed – to you, Gary, how much it's meant to me in my life. I wouldn't, I would not be sitting in this chair today overseeing and being able to lead and teach people without what you shared with us um, and what that's done for my family personally. But beyond that, what it's done to change the people's lives that I've been able to share the knowledge that you've given us and what it's done to help those people and change their lives and protect their families. I can't even begin. It's it's the most valuable piece that has changed how I think as a coach, but it's really transformed me as a human being. And so I'm super grateful and thankful for everything that you taught me, but I'm even more grateful for who you are as a human being and, and how you do this. Cause it's what you've done to change so many people's lives is just, is just amazing. Toddy, uh, I just thank you for that. Um, I'm kind of glad they didn't get to see me on that one because uh, just kind of, just my head kind of went down because it's just, uh, I just admire you so much to hear those words come out of you. Uh, Doug, you know my nickname for this guy's brother love. And mm -hmm. people might say, is this kind of just a weird love fest? And it is. It's a respect fest, love fest, but uh, it's uh, just, uh, just how much we love them, how much we admire them. Uh, I know you've been to Build-A-Bear. Have you been to Build-A-Bear? More than once. Yeah, more than once. I don't think it's coincidental that the cutest bear there is called the Toddy Wright Bear. Do you? Mm -hmm. Because I remember the first time I met Todd, I go, this guy is just the biggest, sweetest, kindest teddy bear I've ever met. And uh, I think that's part of the, not only has he yearned to want to learn all the time and really transform people's lives, but I think he's got that uh, 
build a bear quality that uh, I'm going to go back and get my toddy bear ready to go. So I'm going to let you tie it up. But uh, Todd, uh, love you, brother. And uh, thanks so much for being a part of it. Doug, you awesome job. And uh, so tie us and get us home here, buddy. All right. Well, thank I, you. I personally want to thank Todd Wright and uh, Gary's Wright. Uh, the most common Build-A-Bear is the Toddy Wright Bear, and that's why it was sold out when I went to look for it last. But uh, there's no coincidence um, that uh, he's on this webinar right now because while he talks about how Gray Institute has influenced him, uh, you have to understand that it's a two-way street. And uh, Todd Wright, uh, the rest of the gift fellows, the rest of the professionals that we've been blessed to interact with over the last 30, 45 years here at Gray Institute, uh, really is the reason why this is a two-way street. And so on behalf of Gray Institute, on behalf of the viewers, Todd, uh, we all want to thank you for just giving us uh, some of your time, a lot of your expertise. And uh, what Todd said is, is also very uh, empowering for us to know that the good Lord has made our bodies very special and unique, but he's also made them very complex that we just strive to understand more, not for our own well-being, but for the well-being of those that entrust us with their care, our patients, our clients, our athletes, the individuals. But it's also uh, no coincidence that God creates us as special and unique individuals. And uh, one of the most special, most unique people I know is Todd Wright. So on behalf of us here at Gray Institute, Todd, thank you. On behalf of Gray Institute, we want to thank you, the viewers, for simply just tuning into this webinar. Uh, hopefully you heard a lot of uh, camaraderie. Hopefully you heard a lot of things that uh, make us think a little bit uh, more. Uh, hopefully you heard a lot of things that make us to apply a little bit more strategically to the individual and to the needs of that person. Uh, but more importantly, I hope you heard as a viewer how much not only we respect Todd Wright, but all the Todd Wrights of the world, all the movement professionals that are trying to learn more to do more. So on behalf of Gray Institute, thank you for that. Thanks for joining us here on the Gray Institute podcast. At Gray Institute, our goal is to do one thing the best we can, and that is to help you become the go-to movement professional. If you have a question for future podcasts or questions about anything Gray Institute offers, including education, live or online specializations or mentorship, please email us at info at grayinstitute.com. Be sure to look for our next podcast coming soon. Have a great day.